0: Our lesson today comes out of the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. There we go. One of the things I learned from seminary is... Some of the New Testament is written in both Hebrew and Greek. Matthew happens to be one of the books that was written. I don't know if it was originally written in Hebrew or Greek. Uh, Matthew was a Jew, so possibly there, but it's in both languages. Here's great news. It's the same. Uh, From Hebrew to Greek, it's the same thing there. Uh, But when we're translating it, the Bible is the inerrant word of God. The only mistakes that could possibly be in the Bible is our translating it around. Uh, And one of the things that kind of comes up here is in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, And there's no errors here in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, But the verse 13, it says, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil one. For thine uh, evil one, for yours is the kingdom of the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen, which should really be put down in verse 15. But that's where it's at. That's where the Holy Spirit left us. But verses 14 and 15 are just as important, and they go with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, So that's what we're going to read today, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Verses 14 and 15, Matthew chapter 6, verses 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But... If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, when I was uh, serving in the chapel, now the, the chaplaincy was an uh, additional duty thing or a volunteer duty thing. I was an aircraft mechanic, so when I say I served in the chapel, <clears throat> it was for, uh, that's what I did uh, outside of my normal job. But I was there, and this pastor that you'll hear about, this great uh, loving pastor that forms up an early part of my ministry, uh, who has passed away, is Chaplain Jerry Pitts. He was the wing chaplain here before he went somewhere else, but right after he retired, he passed away. But he's an early part of my ministry. And, And so we're going along, and I got a good story about forgiveness. Uh, well, good story. When Tammy and I got married, there was a person in that showed up in our lives that did a lot of damage, tried to do a lot of damage to my military career, the marriage, and the children. Uh, without going into a whole long story, they just caused a lot of havoc. I used to be, before I married Tammy, and it was shortly after I married Tammy until the kids took up a lot of time, I was a combat pistol shooter, rifle shooter, and shotgun shooter. I belonged, it wasn't my primary job again, but I belonged to the Air Force rifle team and pistol team. And so I could shoot a moving target at the time with like a .30-06, a high-powered rifle. And so going along, this individual, this individual that kept showing up into our life and causing havoc, causing a lot of us to spend a lot of money, boy, I was just ill with and so every time he was coming around, I would, and I'm in the chapel and I'm doing something, I would make the joke, half joke, uh, man, I bet you I could sit up in the bushes. I had an unregistered uh, high-powered rifle at the time. I, I bet you I could hit him driving down the highway. Who would know? Besides God, who else would know? I mean, every time something comes about, about that individual, I would bring that point up. And finally, this chaplain, uh, Jerry Pitts, calls me in the office. Now, you've got to think, Southern Baptist, a little different than Wesleyan, uh, not much. Uh, once saved, always saved. You know, I've called upon the name of the Lord, I'm saved. And he sits there and asks this question to me, why are you playing with your salvation? Do you really want to go to hell? What? Man, I've called upon the name of the Lord, I help in the chapel, I work through this, I do that. I could list off my references to you on how godly of a man I was. You know, I'm not kicking the dog, which we didn't have a dog back then either. Uh, (laughs) So uh, I'm not beating the wife because she's a better shot than I am with the gun and she has a cast iron frying pan. But those are side subjects. But so he's going along and he sits me down in his office and he says, read these two verses for me. You know, I thought, well, I've read the Bible. And it would be well before I ever thought about being a preacher. So let's reread that. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. What does that say? Literally, it's the same in Greek. I have studied it and translated it from Greek to English. From Hebrew to English, in fact. What does it say? If. It is an and if clause. In computer programming, if you do this, you get this result. If you do that, you get this result. But if you miss one little spot, if you ever do hand coding with computers, if you miss one little period or miss one little letter or miss one little uh, slant bar or whatever else, you will get a completely different answer than what you put in. And and so on this, it says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But I'm all right with people talking to people and they throw a butt in something. But when Jesus throws in the butt, you better listen, all right? But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. How many sins. Can you go to heaven with? What? No, and if, if Jesus forgave every sin but one, where are you going? Do you wanna know how hard this really is? You no, know, it's easy, Parker probably knows this, it's easy to preach five good sermons, is it not? Living one is difficult. So if you ever said, man, he just preached on a Sunday, and look at him. Trust me, people, being hard. The two hardest things that I have ever done or doing, not done, but in the process of doing, number one is trying to be a godly man and follow the Word of God. It is difficult. When the rubber hits the road and you actually got to live what you preach, what you teach, what you read, it gets difficult all of a sudden. Many people, I believe, don't read the Bible because they think ignorance is bliss. It's not, people. Ignorance will not save you. Uh, uh, two is being a husband, be a husband and a father and trying to do all the, and not that there's any problems or anything with Tammy and I, but to actually be a godly man and, and godly figure in your house. And, and again, to live like you're supposed to live, that is difficult people. And, and so anybody that's been in marriage for a while knows the difficulty of marriage. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying the difficulty of it. Correct. Uh, we all it's, all, it's all good, but there's sometimes it's difficult. Those are two hardest things. And so, here we go, Chaplain Pitts, uh, uh, Jerry Pitts, he goes along. He says, you're playing with your salvation because you are holding bitterness to this person. You are holding unforgiveness to this person. But Chaplain Pitts, you don't know what this person's done to us. Oh yeah, you're right, I don't, but God does. And then later on in life, later on in life, uh, going along, and I'll come back to the story in a minute, doing, doing the Mayus ministry or Kairos ministry or, or just dealing with people's lives. I, I was at a church and I worked with a rehab center and going along with people and find out that my little unforgiveness was small compared to some people. Some people had somebody murder a child of theirs or a loved one of theirs. Some people, women have been raped. Uh, some people have had, some people have had some horrible things done to them. And what does God say? I must forgive. Has anybody ever seen the movie The Shack? That is a great movie on forgiveness. And a lot of times I use parts of that movie for this talk here, but I won't today. Uh, one of my top three fears, I would say, not the top 10, probably the top three is that something would happen to one of my children, or your child, and I would be responsible, and I would not know whatever happened to that child. You know, you know the sex trafficking is uh, horrible in our country today. And, and so go along, when Tammy and I were the youth people at Bemis United Methodist Church, we did a crazy thing twice. We couldn't learn the lesson the first time. We took like 18 kids to Atlanta, half boys, half girls. And this one time Tammy schedules a hotel and all the doors opened to the outside. And it was in a sketchy part of town. And uh, people were at night, uh, ladies were walking by that you don't want your kids to see. And so I'm telling you what, when I was younger, I could do this. I could stay awake for days, about three or four days without sleeping. I would slept in a chair, because I got teenage boys, who I'm responsible for. I slept in a chair on the balcony. Cracked that door, I know because I wanna return your child to you safe. I would rather them not have fun and then something happened to them. And so that's just where I'm, if I'm ever with your child somewhere else, I will protect them like a hawk. Uh, I will be like a hawk flying over the whole crowd and let somebody even think about coming in the direction. I, I'm kind of overbearing and overprotective that way. But so here we are on this, on this thing here. So back to Chaplain Pitts and my story, and so he goes along and he's talking to me about this. He says, buddy, you know, I, I'm just seeing you suffer with this unforgiveness in your life. I said, you know, uh, Chap Pitch, you just don't understand what he's trying to do to me in my military career, our marriage, and, and messing with our children. You just don't understand. And he shows up in our life again and we got to be nice to him. He says, Yes. Because God forgave you. He says forgive seven times 70, which when you study that in Greek or Hebrew, it's infinity. And see, then later on, I learned going along in Chaplain Pets, you got to think, this is the days before computers. Well, Chaplain Pets, what do I do? Ah, boy, does he ever got a thing for you. If you don't have one of these, I would highly recommend it, unless you are an internet guy. Uh, Nav's Topical Bible. It's listed alphabetically instead of by verse by verse. He went to the forgiveness section in that thing, made copies of every verse that dealt with forgiveness, gave me a Bible. It was a paperback Bible, a cheaper Bible. I want you to read every verse, highlight it, earmark that page, and I want you to write a three or four sentence of what that verse says. Every verse, there's like 30 some verses from the Old Testament, New Testament, deal with some kind of forgiveness. You know, I'm thinking Old Testament, I'm good because eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Man, that's not really, there is a place in the Old Testament that says that, but really the Old Testament is a model of forgiveness too. Forgive your neighbor, forgive it up. Uh, Psalms and Proverbs have it, there's over 30 verses on dealing with forgiveness in the Bible. And so on that, I wrote my things. Then, then he comes up. I'm in the middle of writing my little paper out and everything. Then he comes up with the second question, second thing for me to do. And this is even tougher. I want you to start praying for that person every day. That person was in a close enough proximity to us. We knew what was going on in their life. Not to pray harm. I am pray. Oh, I can pray. I can pray for you one way or the other. I'll pray for you, though. The Bible says... Pray for your enemies. Not to pray to harm them, but to pray that blessings fall upon them. That they too may know the love of God. You want me to do what? Honestly now, you don't want me to do what? Pray for them. And so I did. I did what I was told to do. I didn't want to, but I did. God, I don't want to do this, but here I am. You know, but but know You know what? The longer you start praying for somebody that's hurt you, and you start praying blessings over them, the less the sting of that hurt is in your life. The more all of a sudden you start looking forward to wondering what's happened to this person. And our goal, our goal as Christians, our goal as to live like Jesus... To be this new creation. Do you realize in this new creation, when you sat there and said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and he forgave your sins, and you were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the old man or woman is supposed to have died, and the new rise up, and you are to be like Christ. And Christ has forgiven the sins of the world, and so is you and I. So is you and I. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the ones that go out into the world. We are the ones that are bringing redemption to the world. We're the ones that God is using to show people that God is alive, that God is love, and that God still cares about them. Why is Kairos ministry so important? Because there's people that have done horrible things, the horrible people that are dying and going to hell, and God says, I need you. To go behind those prison walls and tell them there is a chance at redemption. There is a chance at love. There is a living God that still cares about you. I remember the first time going to Kairos ministry. Did I want to go? No. I don't care if those people are in prison. They did bad things. I don't want to go. I could care less if they go to hell. But God cares. God cares. And Mike and I have talked about this one day. Well, I shared is that I got out of Kairos ministry. It's a long funny story. I won't share the whole thing. But I was truly i was at Morvan United Methodist Church and a, they come up to me and say Larry you need to do Kairos ministry or we're going to have to cancel this one. I was ha- on my hands and knees at the altar praying. And I heard God speak. Y'all have never heard God speak. Y'all think I'm crazy but that's okay. Go or I'm putting you in prison. Your ministry will be inside a prison. But God I haven't done anything wrong. When I got to prison to see what people, littlest things that they have done wrong because they didn't have lawyers and they were in prison, I realized I've done a lot more wrong and I could be in jail. Yes, sir, God, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on your team now. <laughs> I'm going to prison as long as I can come out. But so going along on this, what do we do? One of the, some of the Bible verses that I have held on to from my own experience with this, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you realize that God's goal is that all people will know his love before they perish. All people will be introduced to the love of God. And what does the world say? Somebody hurts you. Somebody uh, does something to you personally. What What does the world say? Get even. Get even. It's your right. It's your right to go get even. It's your right to drag them in the court. It's your right to collect the money. What does the Word of God say? Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who have wronged you. Settle things out of court before you get to court. How does God tell us to act? See, too many times, too many times, we want to live like the world because we're justified. I'm justified. That person hurt us. That person, we were in a car wreck. That person did whatever. I'm justified to receive this reward. And that is not what God has said. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. It says, be compassionate to one another. Forgive each other as Christ has forgiven you. As Christ has forgiven you, you are to be christ to forgive others, whether or not they accept the forgiveness, whether or not they are Christian. You know, in Matthew chapter 7, it says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That doesn't say, do to others as they have done for you. Do unto others, there is no them doing anything for you as you would want them to do, as you would want them to do. Do you understand? We are to be Christ to all that we meet. We're to be Christ to all that we meet, to do unto others. I don't have to receive nothing back. I may not receive nothing back. I may receive ugliness and meanness back, but I'm still to do unto others as I'd want them to do to me. It gets hard all of a sudden, does it not? It gets hard. This is where the rubber of Christianity meets the road. In, in the motorcycle world, I don't know why they do this, but it's the craziest thing. A guy will take it, you go down one of these motorcycle shows, and they, I mean, they're doing crazy things, all right? He puts the motorcycle either up against a wall, or they've got this big block or a chalk that holds the front wheel, and he just, that person just pulls out, drops the clutch, and they just burn in the tire. And that thing just, you know, spinning the tires, burning away. Many times Christianity's like that. You know, we feel like we dropped the clutch and we're supposed to be going anywhere. It just seems like we're just burning the tires. We can smell the smoke of the tires burning off our our vehicle. That's okay. Christianity, living a life of Christ is tough. It is one of the toughest things you will do if you actually read the Word. Read the word. Why do I why have we stopped having the, the the words on the up here? Some of you may or may not like this. I'm old school. You need to know your Bible. You need to know what the word of God says. You need to understand and know where it's at. Uh, Bringing up real quick, I used to run aircraft engines, uh, F-15 fighters, Air Security Aircraft of the World. Uh, And and so there's like 55,000 pounds of thrust per engine at full military power afterburner. And so we're in this jet running, and a lot of things can go wrong. You're in there, you got full afterburner power, both the engines, that jet's tied down, and you can feel the power strain. You can feel everything straining. Occasionally, the jet hiccups. When I mean that, the blades will stop and go the other way. Fireball goes everywhere. Uh, Occasionally, the the tie-down, there's so much thrust and power, the tie-down breaks, and you better know, sometimes it catches on fire, you better know what to do and when to do it. Those who have flown or like to fly or, or have flown, you know, every emergency procedure of that aircraft, a pilot carries a checklist that's probably this big. In there, in a little suitcase he has with him on the airplane. And so it goes along. So all of a sudden, here you're flying along, and engine flames, outer engine catches fire. You're at 36,000 feet. When do you, and, and the airplane's starting to nosedive down. When do you want the pilot and the co pilot to read that manual? You realize, hey, Joe, the, the, the left engine's on fire, the wings on fire, uh, we're nose diving down. Uh, what's, the, what's the manual say? By the time he finds it, guess where you are, you have hit the ground. There is no time. Why do they spend hours upon hours upon hours? in a simulator before they let them in the skies. When I was an engine run qualified, we had to spend hours in the simulator, every possible emergency procedure, and you were graded on how fast you could react to every possible emergency procedure. Because money and lives are at stake. It is no different with us here today. People somehow have seemed to think that church is just one of those neat things you come to. We are dealing with eternal salvation a doctor only deals with here and now and healing you for the tomorrow we're trying to heal you for eternal salvation for eternity the 70 80 years or so maybe a little more you live on earth is nothing but a vapor compared to eternity and with heaven with jesus in heaven and that's where we're at as pastors our goal is to get people into the kingdom of god and so how do you do it number one You have to know the word of God before the emergency strikes. You have to know the word of God before the doctor calls you and says, test come back positive, there's cancer. You have to know the word of God before the police call and says, your child's been in a horrible accident, or your wife, or your husband. You have to know the word of God before tragedy strikes because the devil will tear you apart with your faith if you do not. You have to know. So why do I push preaching, reading the Bible, reading the Bible, reading the Bible? So you know the emergency manual when when trouble strikes. And you know the promises of God. And in the middle of the storm, you can praise God. In the midst of the storm, you can hold your faith and say, God, I don't understand this. But I'm going to live through it because your word tells me I can live through it. Why is it so important? The number two is to have a prayer life. And so you have a good communication already with God. The number three thing that the Chaplain Pitts encouraged me to do, and I'm going to encourage you to do. We all need a godly friend, a confidential friend or friends. Because there's some days that life gets hard. There's some days when the doctor calls and says... To tests are positive or the, your child's laying on life support in the hospital or your wife or your husband. When those tragedies strike and you're no longer able to pray, you need people that surround you that can pray for you. Intercessory prayer. You need people there to lift you up. You need people there that also know the Word of God that can raise you up. We are never meant to do this alone. When somebody strikes out at you and hurts you, and before you retaliate, you need to have that friend. Hey, you know what so and so did? And let me tell you what, you know what I feel like doing? Talk it out. If you will speak out what is bothering you, if you've got a good friend, speak it out to God. He already knows, but sometimes. Just speaking it out loud to a friend will solve a lot of the problem. Man, that's, that, does, that does sound stupid, doesn't it? Sitting in the bushes on the side of the highway waiting for so-and-so to come by and shooting him with a high-powered rifle That sounds pretty stupid, does it not? And uh, obviously I didn't do that, that you know of. No, <laughs> I didn't do that. Uh, so here's my question today as we close up the service. How was your relationship with God? Are you hurting? Are you dealing with unforgiveness? Sometimes we're dealing with unforgiveness to God. And one thing's great about God, somebody died in our life or something happened, and, and, we, and we realize this, God's okay with the argument. We've seen David argue with God. We've seen Moses argue with God. We've seen some other people argue with God in the Bible. And God still... Was their friend. God understands the pain you might be going through today or the pain of the future or the pain of the past. God understands. Come to him in faith. Not as this high holy overlooking that doesn't care about you, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus that died on the cross. Come in faith to know that God is with you when you come. Not as a ruler but as a friend. He, too, wants to hear you verbalize whatever's going on. He, too, cares. He, too, wants healness and wholeness in your life. So as we sing the last song, if there's something you're going to pray with, let me bring up prayer. If you want to come to the altar, that's great. If you come with your hands closed. I'm going to leave you alone. If you want me, wave at me or something else. Parker and I or one of us will come down and pray with you. Or maybe somebody else will come down and pray with you. Have your hands open and we will come and pray with you. So with that, let us close. Dear Lord, a Heavenly Father, life is hard. The only way we can do it is by your power through the Holy Spirit living in us. Thank you for pouring out your Spirit upon us today. I'm going to meet at the door and you can come down there too but it ends with the great excitement the whole congregation said okay they got to to say amen right. right. right, thank you